Here's a pop quiz for you. Which of these public statements contained incorrect or misleading numbers? Just last year, we gave the military a $700 billion budget increase. Marco's plan for a trillion dollars in new military spending. Is anybody here willing to give up the big pay raise you just got? We could make it 3%, we could make it 2%, we could make it 4%. I said, no, make it 10%, make it more than 10%. Those were comments about U.S. military spending and pay by U.S. Senator Rand Paul, U.S. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and President Donald Trump. And the answer is... Every single one of those statements was incorrect or misleading. So how can you tell fact from fiction with all of these bad numbers flying around? On this episode of Numbers Geek, we'll talk with someone who specializes in recognizing wrong numbers in media coverage and public statements. He'll give us some practical tools for detecting numerical misinformation ourselves. Then, armed with those tools, we'll revisit those incorrect statements about military spending and we'll look at the actual trends with our resident numbers geek, Steve Ballmer, including some real numbers that might just surprise you. From GeekWire and USA Facts, this is Numbers Geek. I'm GeekWire editor Todd Bishop. Thanks for joining us. Stick around. My name is Brian Kernahan. I am a professor in the computer science department at Princeton University, where I've been for, geez, the last 18 years or something like that. Brian Kernahan is also the author of a new book called Millions, Billions, Zillions, Defending Yourself in a World of Too Many Numbers. The book arose from a class that he teaches at Princeton about computing and communications. It's often taken by non-technical students. In that class, in an attempt to make some of the material more interesting, I've often found that I can show something, uh, some numeric thing that appeared in a newspaper or magazine or on TV, something like that, and show people that people that mistakes are made and that, in fact, students in the class can detect those errors and figure them out for themselves. He turned those examples into the book, which is touted as an essential guide to recognizing bogus numbers and misleading data. That's where we began our conversation. How much of what we see out there is bogus and misleading? Um, And I realize that my question might very well lead you to a bogus and misleading (laughs) because I'm asking you to make a leap based on your anecdotal observations. But with that intro, please go for it. (laughs) I, you know, I suspect that there is a fair amount of misinformation there. Some of it is, uh, I'm sure, intentional. And sadly, we see an awful lot of that, not restricted to numbers at all. Uh, pretty much every day at this point. I think a lot of the errors that I have seen that find their way into the book or talks are more like inadvertent errors. Uh, A very common error is to confuse one of those big number things like million or billion or trillion. Um, Because I think realistically, for most people, if you say million, they think that's a big number. And if you say billion, they think that's a really big number. And you say trillion, that's a really, really big number. And there isn't a, a, a genuine quantitative relationship there, just an order of big, bigger and biggest. Um, and in fact, that's the genesis of the title. That there's a very large number of examples that I've seen over the years that where somebody just got that wrong. And so they were off by a factor of a thousand uh, in one direction or another. 
And I think that those tend not to be in any way uh, intentional misrepresentations. I think they are simply carelessness, um, working journalists, pressure of time, get something out, don't have time to go back and think about it. And so something shows up that's wrong. Now, of course, good journalists and good papers then publish corrections and say, gee, we got it wrong. Here's what it should have been. And um, the more of those we have, the better. It's interesting because I was trying to kind of uh, reverse engineer how you came up with some of your examples. And I have a hunch that some of the examples you use in the book were found by you or your colleagues by looking for corrections of numbers. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) No question whatsoever. And these occur often enough that one can even formulate suitable uh, Google queries to find (laughs) good ones. Like what? Like what did you search? Oh, uh, something that says millions, not billions, or (laughs) billions, not millions. (laughs) That's often good enough uh, to get you something. And of course, I read the the corrections uh, pages or columns of in particular, the New York Times, which is just a super good paper. I read those uh, religiously. Yeah, it's kind of ironic because I think most of the papers that do the right thing and the journalists who do the right thing and correct their mistakes in numbers or anything else end up getting singled out. But to your point, I think the most sophisticated of readers understand that the correction is a good thing, not a bad thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so to your question, how many errors are there which do not get corrected in any way? I have no idea, but I'll bet it's a lot. And how many of those are intentionally misleading? Some fraction, but I wouldn't care to say what the fraction was. Do you have a favorite mistake from the book? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's a whole bunch of them that I would call favorites. There was a story in a local paper about 10 years ago that said that if you turn off the monitor on your computer, and you will remember monitors like before we had flat panel displays, said if you turn off your monitor every night instead of leaving it on, you will save $88 a day in electricity costs. $88 a day? Yeah, precisely. And so if you think about that for not very long, you'd say, wait a minute, if it cost me $88 a day to run my computer, I wouldn't have a computer. Nobody would have a computer. And so this clearly has to be wrong. And then the question is only, in what way is it wrong? And I figured out fairly quickly that most likely thing was that instead of a day, it's a year. If you go through, do the arithmetic, roughly what does electricity cost? How much is a monitor used? It's about a light bulb. You know, $88 a year is absolutely sensible value for that. And in fact, the paper, Newark, Star-Ledger corrected themselves a couple of weeks later. We got it wrong. It should have been per year. You outline in the book some common tactics, very easy things that people can do to not necessarily fact check, but gut check the numbers that they see in the popular media. What are your favorite tactics, just as you're reading, and what do you do in your mind to do that? Yeah, I... First, let me confess without too much embarrassment that I don't do it all the time either. I don't think anybody could, um, but I'm much more kind of cautious or skeptical than or alert than I used to be. Uh, I think one of the useful ones is this sort of one that we, as we were just talking about, what would be the implications of a particular number if it were accurate? If it did cost me nearly $100 a day to run a computer, I would not have a computer. Everybody has a computer, therefore that number must be wrong in some way. So that reasoning backwards from if the number were true, 
the implications would be nonsensical. That, I think, is a very useful way to uh, do reasoning about numbers that you're given. Another way that I think works well with oh, very large numbers that come from things like government agencies is to say, okay, the tax bill for something is $100 bazillion. What's my share of this large number? So I take, for example, there's an, uh, in the book an instance where the New York Times said that the uh, federal budget deficit at some point was $1.3 billion. So, okay, what's my share? So we take 1.3 billion, we divide it by 300 million, population of the United States approximately, and we come up with $4. So my share of the deficit at that point would have been $4. So would yours. And so obviously at that point, what you could do, in fact, what we as a nation could do very easily is to say, okay, let us declare tomorrow as a no Starbucks day. We will instead send $4 to Washington and pay off the deficit. One day, minimal sacrifice, we're done. Obviously not correct. The number should have been trillions, and my share of the deficit and yours would be more like $4,000. No way I'm going to send $4,000 to Washington if I don't have to, and that would be true for everybody else. We're going to be talking on this podcast about many large numbers. Just as one example, total government spending in 2015 was more than $5 trillion if you take into account federal, state, and local spending. How can we apply your tools as listeners to this podcast and, frankly, as the person putting this podcast together to make sure we don't mislead and to make sure we illuminate as much as possible these issues we're talking about? Yes, I, I noticed you had sent me uh, that USA Facts uh, document, which was, I think, quite interesting and well done in many respects. And I noticed the fact that all of the numbers were really big. I mean, really, really big, because they were talking trillions as opposed to mere billions. And so I think, again, what's my share of that would help, but the, my share of something like the government uh budget of five plus trillion would be still a large number. I am not sure how to make uh, your job easier or your <laughs> listener's job, <laughs> except by suggesting that, yes, be able to divide comfortably by, say, 300 million in Americans to somewhat scale these large numbers down. To me, the key ingredient in what you're describing is having the numbers for context. In other words, you're reading one number in the news, but you know the big contextual number, like the country's population or like the GDP. Are there any other big picture contextual numbers that you find yourself using frequently as you're assessing the numbers that you read? Yeah, I, that's an excellent point. I, there's a, any number of things that I think that everybody knows because of the way they have gone through life. And you and I will know different things, although there be commonality. We both have a pretty accurate idea of the population of the country and probably of the world, and then probably not so much of other countries, um, or perhaps the state we live in. So we have numbers like that. How many of things are there? Uh, we have actually probably a pretty decent idea of weights and measures in whatever we're comfortable about. So you sort of have a pretty intuitive notion of you know, what a pint or a quarter or a gallon or something like that is or how much some things weigh. Um, we have some notion of how fast things move in various ways, like what's typical speeds on highways. All of these kinds of things are in our heads. We just know a lot of that. And so all of those play in as context when you're trying to 
think about numbers that have come to you or that you're trying to produce for yourself. And the more of those that you know, obviously, the better off you are. And if you use some, you know, you find out some new number, like now I know that the budget or whatever is, is nearly $6 trillion, that's a number that at least for a while will stick in my head and I'll be able to use that in some further computation perhaps. So I think the more things you know like that, the more you have the way of context, sanity checking, pay attention to them. Don't get wrapped around the axle, but pay some attention to it. And people say, I was never any good at math. This is not math. This is really the kind of arithmetic you did in grade school, but a lot easier because you don't have to be right. You just have to be sort of in the right ballpark. And it just makes it so much easier. So you can relax and conceivably even enjoy it. Brian Kernahan is the author of Millions, Billions, Zillions, and you can find a link to the book at geekwire.com slash numbersgeek. All right, so now we have some tools to detect bogus and misleading numbers. When we come back, we will return to our examples of misleading military numbers, and we'll hear from our resident numbers geek, Steve Ballmer, about the real trends in U.S. defense spending and military pay. All right, let's jump into our conversation with Steve Ballmer, our resident numbers geek, the former Microsoft CEO, the owner of the LA Clippers, and the founder of USA Facts, the not-for-profit, nonpartisan civic data initiative that's GeekWire's partner on the Numbers Geek podcast. We're going to start with some news stories to give us a sense for the types of numbers that are typically reported by the media. Our first story, published August 13th, 2018 by CNBC, falls into the category of accurate but incomplete. It uses adjectives rather than historical data to make its point. It begins, President Donald Trump approved a colossal defense policy bill Monday that authorizes a top-line budget of $717 billion to cover a litany of defense spending. Well, the first thing I, I think about when I read this article is how does what's being authorized compare with what's come before? There's no context on that in the article. This is 2019. Yep. The most recent year for which we have actuals, I think, would be 2017. And so what does 2017 look like? If you go back to the height of the, the war, what do all of those things look like? What's inflation look like? It's all important to factor in uh, in this article. So, yes, the number, what is it, 700 and... 17. 17 billion is a large number. Uh, total government spend, federal, state, and locals, 5.7 trillion. So even compared to that, it's call it roughly 14% something. So it is significant. And yet, before commenting as to whether this is colossal, yeah, I would say you'd want to look at a little bit of context. So here is that context, the big picture. National defense spending in 2017 totaled $730 billion. That was a decrease from 2010 when national defense spending was $917 billion. All of this is adjusted to $2016 for purposes of comparison, so it's adjusted for inflation. These numbers ebb and flow with U.S. military engagement in overseas conflicts like the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Now, this is defense spending. 
adjusted for inflation, what was actually spent each year on defense. It was not what was authorized to spend in the budget, which are two different things. If you look at budgeted spending, the $717 billion in authorized spending for 2019 that was referenced in the news article, that is up 12% over the prior year. These different accounting methods add an extra layer of complexity when trying to make comparisons, as I mentioned to Steve during our conversation. This was one of the most confusing federal budget areas that I've encountered in our time working on this project. You've got different ways of calculating defense spending. Are you just talking about the Department of Defense? Are you talking about overall military spending? Is there depreciation? Is there investment included? It is really confusing to the point where I could see where anybody trying to figure out what the real numbers are, like you're trying to do. It's challenging. It is a little challenging. I think it may be simpler than you just characterized. The biggest issue, I think, is when the if a company builds a factory it doesn't expense through its income statement it doesn't show as an expense the whole factory in the first year rather a little bit of it gets charged because that every year because that factory is going to be around when the military builds a plane or a ship those ships and planes are supposed to be around for more than one year and yet they flow directly through expenses In other words, they're not done on so-called accrual accounting, which is the way most businesses work. That's probably the most confusing thing. There are also a few cases where um, non, where defense spend shows up other places in the budget. But the biggest thing, by far, is this notion of accrual accounting. And you know what? We should just accept the accounting the way the government does it and move on. Big picture, actual defense spending is down from more than $900 billion in 2010 to closer to $700 billion in 2017. And total defense spending is about 13% of overall state, local, and federal government spending. That gives us some context. The tools that Brian Kernahan was talking about earlier as we analyze the statements by public officials about military spending and pay. This was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the U.S. House representative from New York. She was speaking as a candidate in 2018 on The Daily Show. Just last year, we gave the military a $700 billion budget increase, which they didn't even ask for. They're like, we don't want another fighter jet. Like, they're like, don't give us another nuclear bomb. You right. know? $700 billion increase in the military budget. Is that correct? No. The total size of the military budget is 717 asked for in 2019. Now, I might give this candidate the benefit of the doubt and say she misspoke. Uh, On the other hand, she talked about it as if it was incremental in jets and the like. Uh, So I might also give her a very hard time. So her campaign afterward acknowledged that she did misspeak. So actually, to her credit, she came out and said that was not the correct number. It was cast, as she said it, as an incremental increase when, in fact, it was the overall size of the budget. Now, let's listen to this moment from a prior presidential debate. Add that to Marco's plan for a trillion dollars in new military spending, and you get something that looks to me not very conservative. I do want to rebuild the American military. I know that Rand is a committed isolationist. I'm not. I believe the world is a stronger and a better place when the United States is the strongest military power in the world. Marco, Marco, how is it conservative 
How is it conservative to add a trillion dollars in military expenditures? A trillion dollars in military spending. That seems crazy because we know that the entire budget is in the range, depending on how you calculate it, of $717 billion under the plan approved by Congress. Now, it turned out that Rand Paul was referring to Rubio's planned increase over 10 years, which he did not state. I think that is confusing. I also think that this is standard in discussion about government. A lot of the discussion goes back and forth between annual increases and increases over a multi-year period of time. From my own perspective, I find it easier to think about things annually because we talk about total spend annually. Companies talk about their income statements in terms of what they spent this year. People don't talk about forecasts. These are 10-year forecasts, which is different than a one-year approved plan. So I think it's really important to to grasp this, and yet a lot of political discussion just blah, 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 between multi-year sort of statements and uh, single-year statements. Are people, do you think, doing that inadvertently, or is it done on purpose in situations like this to overstate it? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. There's certainly times when people want to make something sound really bad. And instead of using the word colossally bad, they use a 10-year forecast as opposed to a one-year forecast. It's always bigger to say, yeah, it's a trillion dollars more than to say it's $100 a year more. (laughs) Got Um, it. They're both big numbers, but one sounds much more dramatic than the other. Here is our final example of a public statement about military spending. Is anybody here willing to give up the big pay raise you just got? Raise your hand, please. Ah, I don't see too many hands. Okay. Don't give it up. It's great. You know what? Nobody deserves it more. You haven't gotten one in more than 10 years. More than 10 years. And we got you a big one. I got you a big one. I got you a big one. They had plenty of people that came up. They said, you know, we could make it smaller. We could make it 3%. We could make it 2%. We could make it 4%. I said, no. Make it 10%. Make it more than 10%. Because it's been a long time. It's been more than 10 years. Been more than 10 years. That's a long time. In reality, the pay raise authorized in the 2019 budget was 2.6% over the prior year. That was the largest budgeted increase in nearly a decade but it was obviously not more than 10%. If you look at the big picture, total military compensation per active duty service member has grown from about 59,000 in 1980 to around 113,000 in 2016 after adjusting for inflation. Now that number sounds big, but it includes salary and all benefits. And compensation of personnel represents 33% of military spending. All right, so now you are armed with some new tools to separate fact from fiction. Good luck out there. Blah, 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 blah. For a deep dive on U.S. military spending, see pages 35 through 38 of the 2018 USA Facts Annual Report. That's available at usafacts.org. And also there, you can find interactive graphics and annual reports and much more historical data on all types of U.S. government spending. Numbers Geek is produced by GeekWire in partnership with Steve Ballmer and USA Facts. Numbers Geek graphic design by Killer Infographics. Theme music by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. 
For more Numbers Geek episodes and videos, plus charts and citations for the numbers we discussed this week, go to geekwire.com slash numbersgeek. You can also find a link there to Brian Kernahan's book, Millions, Billions, Zillions. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Todd Bishop. See you next time on Numbers Geek. Numbers Geek.